This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. If Yehovah is indeed all-powerful, why did he need to rest? What do we do with this concept of the Shabbat and how does it permeate through the scriptures? Well, Pastor Matthew Vanderels takes us on a journey to explain the pattern of freedom and liberty in the Shabbat and why it is so important to the Almighty. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Well, there you are, Shabbat Shalom Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Do you remember when you first started observing the Sabbath? I mean, it was weird, wasn't it? When am I going to mow the grass if I don't do it on Saturday? Or did you accidentally go to the store on Shabbat? I've done both of those things when I first started out. But there's more to the Shabbat than just avoiding yard work and shopping. Matthew Vanderels is back for the second of four episodes in his series, Patterns in the Bible. And tonight is all about what the Sabbath really means to Yehovah and what it should mean to us. And that's coming up. Speaking of the Sabbath, we are on the fourth and final Shabbat of the fifth month on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar created by my co-host, Michael Rood. Oh, thanks, Scott. Uh, yeah, the Sabbath, they have changed the meaning of the word Sabbath, and they think it means Sunday. They changed the Sabbath to Sunday, so you can no longer uh, keep the word of God. And you know, that would really uh, be, it would be it, we, we could really understand how the Jewish people look at us and go, well, you guys don't even consider the Sabbath. Obviously, we don't believe the same things when, you know, no wonder they see that, that split because of how it was changed, and that doesn't line up with their faith at all. No, but it lines up with the internet, and <laughs> it lines up with the Catholic Church. Yep, absolutely. So tonight, we're going to talk all about that with Pastor Matthew Vanderels, and I wonder if, when you started first observing the Sabbath, was it back in the Marines, or, or when did you first yeah, start doing Yeah, it was back that? in the Marines. Okay. And you were a, uh, you were a, pa let me get this right, you were a pastor in the Marines, right? Or you were a, a chaplain? Okay. That's right. And did you start, uh, did you find it weird when you first started observing the Sabbath? Did you find it strange that we had to, we took this day off and we're supposed to not do anything on that day? No, I found it completely to be free from the world. Mm. And, and, and I encouraged everyone to do, to keep the Sabbath and it will change your life. And it did, it changed my life. Mm -hmm. And I know it would do the same, same for other people too, as they honored God and kept his word. Yeah, because he, I mean, he has that promise in his word that he'll bless us if we just obey him. And just taking, <laughs> how simple can that be? Take a day off and, <laughs> and you'll be blessed. You know, I mean, it doesn't yeah, get much easier than that. It's counterintuitive. We don't think of it that way. Yeah. But we should. Absolutely, yeah, and, and it's funny how you, you catch yourself doing stuff on the Shabbat because we're so in this, at least in North America, you know, it's always go, 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 go all the time, and we to stop is really, like you said, it's a foreign thing, it's counterintuitive. Yeah, if we'll go, 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 
and then stop on Friday. That's the key. You stop a day early and you just rest. Mm -hmm. and, and you fellowship with God. And you actually get more done. I mean, there's even been studies done on folks who work in offices and if they don't take their, uh, their time off, you know, their, their, their weeks of vacation, they end up burning out sooner than those people that do take their vacations. Yes, the, the, the French tried this under Voltaire. They tried to change the calendar to do a 10-day work week and it, it failed because you, it, it's international. Seven days is a week. It's a Shavuah in Hebrew. And if you work more than that or less than that, you get off balance. Hmm. So did, did the people had burned out, was that what happened? Yeah, they, they burned out and they couldn't keep the, the new calendar that they invented just so that they would ignore the Sabbath. Hmm. Wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah, interesting. That was uh, Voltaire who did that. Huh. Now, speaking of uh, doing things properly and observing this, the feasts, we're going to do that here with Yom Teruah. Oh, that's right. Uh, on Yom Teruah, in the in the synagogue, in Matthew, excuse me, in John chapter six, Yeshua teaches about the resurrection and the last day. And so at Yom Teruah this year, that's what we're going to do right here. We're going to teach about the resurrection because we all know somebody who, who has died. That's right. That's true. And hence, so what is their fate? Did they go directly to heaven or hell? That's a bunch of crap. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling you're going to talk about that on Yom Teruah. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> And we're going to let everybody know so that they can change the meaning of the resurrection like they changed the meaning of the word Sabbath to Sunday. They changed the meaning of the word, and so nobody knows the truth anymore. So we're going to lay it out so that we have the truth concerning the resurrection. And we're going to have some uh, great guests here as well, some uh, different guests we haven't had here before. So Jake Hilton, who's done a Shabbat Night Live with us, yeah, he, he's going to be here. Yeah, he's the one who explored and, and destroyed the Mormon church. Yep, good for him. Yeah, and he really exposes that, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did a great job. And Steve Siefkin talks about uh, the temple. And we're going to have, uh, we had a recent series with him last month uh, with Steve. And uh, Matthew Vanderels is going to join us as well. So it's going to be a great time. We still have tickets available. So we want to encourage uh, folks to get that. You can go to yomteruahcharlotte.com and you can get either tickets for in person, if there's still some left by the time you see this, or you can also watch online. And we have both options to do that. Uh, speaking of options, uh, Michael, we were talking about this before the cameras came on. This is this month's love gift. And I know that when folks give to the ministry, you like to say, we like to give something back. And yeah, so what we're doing- the real treasure right here. Yep. Because he has explored the, 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 the pandemic. Mm -hmm. He has been in charge of the of government agencies, and he lays it all out. That's right. Yeah, uh, Doctor Mar or Pastor Mark Fulmer. I met him yeah. at a Freedom Conference. Yeah, and uh, he wrote a whole book on the Wuhan incident. Yeah, we we can't uh, put this out on YouTube because they'll uh, 
they will, uh, uh, they will keep us from hearing the whole thing. Absolutely. But, but here it is, right here. So anybody that gets this, you, you need this. This is more important so that they don't continue to lie to you. That's right. It's it's all about the global cabal, and it's you know, is it conspiracy theory? Is it not? I think by the time you hear Pastor Mark Fulmer, you'll see that this is not a conspiracy theory. This is what's happening. Like Michael said, yeah. he's got twenty years' experience in this. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, it's not a theory. That's right. No, it's just a conspiracy. It's truth. <laughs> yeah, it's a conspiracy against us. Yeah, in the Bible, it talks about conspiracy. That's true. Yep, it does. So we don't. In Psalm chapter two, it's a conspiracy. And so, uh, it's not a theory. That's absolutely right, yeah, we've, we've got proof behind it now. All right, here, speaking of proof, here's what you're gonna see tonight, take a look. And it says that the Lord God took man he had made, and most translations will say he settled him into the garden, but the word there is actually nuach. It's he rested man in the garden. So. So he, he rested man in the garden. It's a, it's a form of the word rest, nuach. Um, so we have God taking a Sabbath, and now God is inviting man to come rest with him in ah. his Sabbath. All right, there you go. Pastor Matthew Vanderels takes us on a journey to explain the pattern of freedom and liberty in the Shabbat and why it is so important to the Almighty. Michael is next with the Kiddush, but first, we need you to see this. Does a global cabal fit into the prophecies of the Bible? Or is it nothing more than a conspiracy theory concocted by overzealous believers? Does this situation we're in play into the Bible? Like, does a global cabal fit into the Bible in your mind? Absolutely, Scott. The New World Order, all of this, is part of Bible prophecy. Author, teacher, and 20-year bioterrorism expert Mark Fulmer presents The Global Cabal, the mind-boggling depths of a plan to corral the world into a one-world government, straight out of the book of the Revelation. You won't find this teaching anywhere online, but we'll give it to you as our thanks for supporting A Root Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in August, we'll send you The Global Cabal with Mark Fulmer on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you The Global Cabal, plus an authentic replica of a half-shekel coin from the first century AD. Donate $300 and we'll send you the teaching, the replica half-shekel coin, plus a beautiful handcrafted glass and brass sculpture of the Hebrew word chai, meaning life. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Root to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Get these exclusive thank you gifts when you make a donation to support A Root Awakening International only in August. Use your cell phone to scan the QR code on your screen to donate now or call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online with a donation at monthlylovegift.com. There is a rabbinic tradition 
even a takanot, a law which changed biblical law, that before one eats bread, one must wash their hand with a two-handled pot, a negelvesser, and say this prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments, commanding us to wash the hands. Nowhere in the scripture is this ever commanded. In fact, the rabbis will plainly say that we are the ones that made it up, and when you are obeying us, you're obeying God. Well, Yeshua said, do not follow the takanot of the Pharisees. Do not follow their man-made rules and regulations. But every time there is bread, every time we can remember what Yeshua said, what he put in place. And we can say the prayer, Baruchata Yehovah Elohim Melech HaOlam Hamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And Yeshua said, I am the bread brought forth in the earth. This represents my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, if it's every meal, if it's every Sabbath, you do it in remembrance of me, because by his stripes, we were healed. And Yeshua took the cup, and he said, Baruchata Yehovah, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, Borei pari hagafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood, the broken covenant in which we were offered to be priests and kings. Yeshua paid the price. He renewed the covenant with us and made us priests and kings. And so as often as we do this, we remember this and we reign as priests and kings now and will do so in the future with Yeshua for a thousand years in our resurrected body along with his resurrected body. And we do this in remembrance of him. Shalom. Well, Shabbat Shalom, Torah fans. We say that every week, don't we? Shabbat, what is the Shabbat? Well, it's the Sabbath. It's every seventh day. We go from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday. That is the Shabbat, right? Well, wait a second. I thought after God created the world, he took a Shabbat. He, he rested on the seventh day. You tell that to an atheist friend, they say, come on. God, if he's supposed to be all powerful, why did he need a rest? Good question, let's have an answer to that. Matthew Vanderels, welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. It's great to be back, this is well wonderful. We talked all about the, uh, the basically the story of the Bible last week and you uh, presented some interesting things that made me think about how certain themes uh, connect through the Bible. We're gonna connect uh, the Sabbath this week and where it all goes to. So that's a good question, you know? Like, So God creates the world, he has this Shabbat, or he creates the Shabbat, God didn't need a Shabbat, so there's obviously something else behind it, and there's all kinds of things we wanna get into that are connected to the Shabbat. So, I mean, first of all, I mean, so that's a good question. So why did God need a Shabbat? Why is there even a Shabbat? What, what, what's the reason here? Sure, so there's two trains of thought on that, or three, I guess. One, he was tired and he wanted to sit down. I'm not compelled toward uh, that opinion, but there are some that hold to it. Yeah. Uh, another one is it is uh, kingship, inauguration language. Uh, so imagine if you're campaigning for president, um, campaign, 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 and the votes come in, and you got to go with the back and forth, and then there's uh, you got to contend with conflict after the, the voting and everything, and you finally get to go into the Oval Office, 
and you sit down over your dominion that you're reigning over, mm. which I guess the president isn't really, we got con- anyway. But you sit on a throne. You're, you're sitting yours. on a throne. And so okay. uh, it's, some would believe that, uh, or uh, some are of the opinion, and I don't, I don't disagree with this at all, uh, it's resting languages of king reigning. He is now reigning over creation. Um, and uh, the third, which can kind of jive with the second, which I absolutely endorse, is that it's put there purposely uh, so that we can connect other events throughout the narrative of the Bible back to it. Ah, so we're given a key. We're given exactly. We're given a key, and we're going to talk about that uh, as well. Um, because you know, let's let's be honest. The, the biblical authors they didn't have to put that in there. Why, why does it matter if he had a Sabbath or not? It does not matter to the story, that specific story. And so it's, I believe it's there for a, uh, another reason altogether. Um, and I would contend that the Shabbat, the Sabbath, is a foundational theme that permeates throughout the story of the Bible. It's not simply prescriptive. You know, of course we know, okay, Friday night, Saturday night, like I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna separate it. Um, this day that I'm gonna rest, uh, not work and just dedicate with focus on God, but it goes so much further than that in the story. Uh, it evolves, it becomes a bigger symbol throughout the story as the story progresses of Israel, and it actually evolves into this type of ex- eschatological expectation of an eternal rest Sabbath that's going to take place under the reign of a future king. Hmm. And so all of this is launching forward from the text at the beginning of chapter two of Genesis, where God has the Sabbath. Now, what's interesting is every single day of creation, uh, it ends with, and evening and morning was day one. Evening and morning was day two. Yeah, yeah. And the, the author, they're very consistent <laughs> with that, except for the Sabbath. And so there is a discussion, uh, a meditation, and it's an opinion, you can take it or leave it, that because the Sabbath wasn't capped, the intention was after God created a place that he would dwell with mankind, that is the state that it would always be in, Mm. is this day of resting with God, dwelling together with God on the Sabbath. It never ends, Uh there is no cap on it. So that's where we find the Garden of Eden and before everything Yes. Goes to heck in a handbasket. That's right. That's that's the Sabbath where we are to understand. I'm compelled to agree with that. Yes. I'm in again opinions. 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 It's it's you're reading a story, and stories are meant to be discussed. The Bible was meant to be discussed in a community fashion. It was meant to be read to a community, meditated on, and discussed. you know, this idea that we just have our own personal Bible and we read it is relatively new in, in human history. Um, so, but yeah, let's, let's jump in. So the Sabbath is something that is going to, we'll see, is going to depict a hope and a goal that God wants for his creation. And uh, we're gonna find it culminate in the person of Yeshua. And I, would, I, I believe that Yeshua, his whole foundation of his ministry was started on the premise of the Sabbath. And so we're going to, we're gonna take a journey, if you are willing to take a journey with me uh, through the story of the Bible. And we're gonna jump back and forth a little bit, uh, but it'll be okay. We're gonna take a journey to the first time Sabbath was commanded uh, to Israel, why it was commanded, the evolution uh, and the command for a larger, more impactful Sabbath that impacts not just individuals, but whole communities. And then an even larger one that, that's called the Jubilee, that's even bigger. And then of course, we're gonna land in this future eternal Sabbath that the prophets speak about. And so the first time the Sabbath is actually given as a commandment is in Exodus chapter 16. Hmm. And it's when uh, Israel's doing their thing and God says, you know what? Um, we're gonna take Sabbath. 
It's gonna rain down the what's it bread, because that's what the word manna means. Yep. It means what's it, the what's it bread, right? They're gonna, you're gonna pick up this bread, you're gonna gather twice as much on Friday, but not Saturday, you're gonna take a break, boil what you need to boil, bake what you need to bake in, in uh, Exodus 16, verse 23. And then of course, four chapters later, uh, the Sabbath command is given again in Exodus as part of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Um, and he's commanding Israel to keep the Sabbath. And he gives a reason at this point why the Sabbath is important for Israel to begin keeping. And here's what it says in Exodus 20, verse 8. It says, Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Six days are to labor, do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Uh, don't do any work, don't make your servants work. Um, for in six days, here we go, the reason behind it, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Okay, so here's the reasoning. Now, now because we've read chapters one and two of Genesis, we know exactly what this is referencing. Mm-hmm. This is referencing when God rested way back at the beginning. This is, what, uh, is this 70, 70 chapters earlier in the Bible, right? There was a gap of silence of the Sabbath for 70 chapters, and mm. here we go. And there's two words that are associated with Sabbath here. Uh, of course, one is Shabbat, which means to cease, the Shabbat day, right? And the other one is rested, when God rested on the seventh day. It's the word nuach, which means uh, to rest, so cease and rest. And we're gonna see these words uh, kind of pop up a few more times. And God says the reason for commanding the Sabbath is uh, because he himself rested back in Genesis 2, creation story. Um, and, so, uh, and so, yeah, so we continue kind of going through uh, this trajectory. And so we know that Israel went through all, since God created the earth, they went all the way up, they were in Egypt, they began to, 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 to become so numerous um, God took them out of Egypt and, uh, and went forward and called them his holy people. And then now we see the Sabbath again. And I say all that to say, it, I love film. So I, I typically revert back to film. So there is this old film um, with a, a very famous actor, Leonardo DiCaprio, called Titanic. Ah, uh, yes. Right? Have you ever seen it? Few too many times. Yes, yes. Right. <laughs> a double VHS set, right? It was, yeah. uh, kids don't even know what a DVD is. So remember the movie uh, Titanic? How does it start? Do you remember? Um, so we have... I her, do not. What's her name? Rose? Elderly woman comes yeah. on the scene. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, so it starts, it starts in the present day. Yeah, the story of the Titanic and the movie starts and they find a necklace. What does a necklace have to do with the Titanic? It's a necklace. It made no sense to the audience. She found this necklace and then she has a flashback. So this elderly woman is holding this necklace they found on the ship and then the story just keeps moving forward as if nothing happened with the necklace. And then finally, we actually see her later in the story wearing the necklace for some painting or something. And, uh, and we remember, like, wait a second. That's the necklace we saw at the beginning of the story and now here it is again. Why did the director do that? Why did he put the necklace at the beginning and in the middle because he wants us to realize there's a pattern coming mm. and there's gonna be an even greater, the necklace is gonna pop up again in the future. Mm. It's preparing us, we're looking forward to it. So, so, so in other words, I believe this is exactly what's happening here. Israel's being commanded to keep the Sabbath and instantly we go back to the beginning and we're like, wait, wait, the necklace is at the, be- the Sabbath is at the beginning. That means there has to be something at the climactic end. And the movie Titanic ends the same way. It doesn't end with the ship falling apart. It ends with her having the necklace and tossing it back into the sea, right? Necklace, necklace, necklace. We have Sabbath, Sabbath. 
where's the culmination, the big moment of the Sabbath going to come into the story? And so we see God taking the Sabbath uh, in Genesis 2. The story shifts again, uh, moving forward. And, and then he creates a garden in Genesis 2, chapter 15. And it says that the Lord God took man he had made, and most translations will say he settled him into the garden, but the word there is actually nuach. Mm. It's he rested man in the garden. So, so he, he rested man in the garden. It's a, it's a form of the word rest, nuach. Um, so we have God taking a Sabbath, and now God is inviting man to come rest with him in ah. his Sabbath, mm. you see. Okay. So now we have a, a pattern. Um, God leads by example as he rests from his work and then dwells together, Nuach, with his people. Um, and how will the rest of the story go? Well, you have you know, the seven days and so on and so forth. Uh, and then we come to a man by the name of Noah, whose name is Nuach. It means rest. Oh, that is his name. That's his name, rest. So we have rest. We got a lot of resting going on right in the beginning. He gets back on a boat while God causes the waters from above and below to crash back down. Um, and he's trying to bring rest back to his creation after man has savagely corrupted it through violence and self, uh, selfish pursuit. Um, and, uh, and then we move forward. And the next time we kind of see Sabbath uh, popping up again, of course, is to Israel, but we also see it in Leviticus 23. So that's our favorite chapter, right? All the feasts and festivals. We have the seven mm -hmm. festivals of the Lord, but Leviticus 23 starts out not with a feast or a festival. It says these are the gatherings that you should meet God, and the very first one is the Sabbath. Mm. And then it proceeds with the Passover, the first fruits, Shavuot, Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, Shavuot. Shavuot takes place how many weeks after first fruits and Passover? Seven weeks. Seven weeks, okay. And a week is how many days? Seven days. Seven. So we have a seven, seven, seven. So seven times seven. Okay, there we go. In Leviticus 25, God commands Israel to reap and sow kind of in the same fashion as the Shavuot, seven weeks, but every seventh year. So make sure you reap and sow six years, but in the seventh year, now you're to give the land rest. And what's gonna happen? Well, it says that something about the land, you're gonna give it rest and it's gonna provide food for you and your maidservants. Like it's still gonna produce. Mm. You don't have to, go, it's gonna be like the garden. Ah, right. never thought about it like that. Now we have the theme, it's a garden flashback involving rest once again. You are not to work it because this year it's going to feed you without you working it, mm. right? So we have every seven years, we have the land getting rest. And then right after this, God begins to speak of an even bigger Shabbat, an even bigger time of rest, of ceasing, time of dwelling, Sabbath, Noach, every seven land Sabbaths. So every seven, seven years, every 50 years, uh, it's something called the, the year of Jubilee. And this is a big, this is a, this is a reset that makes us uncomfortable. Um, everything reset, lands goes back to the original owners, all of the debt that has been accrued, all of the burden is wiped away, all servants and slaves are released, uh, absolute freedom is proclaimed. So you experience freedom, you rest, and the land feeds you without you working it. Mm. Every 50 years, we're going back to the garden to get a sample of what we had and what we lost. Wow, that's interesting where, you know, so the Jubilee is, is, is all about freedom. Mm -hmm. and, and what are we all, especially in the West, we're all about freedom, freedom, freedom. 
<laughs> and, and we're pushing our own way into freedom. Yes. But God, it sounds like God's just saying, I will take care of freedom. Don't yes. worry about that. And even with uh, Noah, uh, I'm looking at, I'm thinking of all this through now. Yeah, like you're yeah. saying. So Noah and Revelation and the eternal rest, yes. um, he will provide a way, a means for us to have that rest. He will provide us, like for example, Noah is like a savior. Mm -hmm. Right, well, that will provide rest. Sure, sure. Well, I guess we see that in Yeshua too. Am I, am I yes, jumping or yes. grasping at straws Absolutely. here? Absolutely. So, so Yeshua is known as the Lord of? The Sabbath. The Sabbath. Aha, another yes. new way to look at yeah, that. Yeah, so it has more impact now, right? It has more mm -hmm. impact. Um, it's amazing. And, uh, and so yeah, we, we have freedom when we're not enslaved. Uh, and that's something that I think in the West, specifically in the States, we have a kind of a different, uh, not a warped, but warped from the biblical sense of freedom, view of freedom and liberty, it's, it's here it's liberty. And we, we should be able to do as much as we want to benefit ourselves, um, things that gain us. And we, we make that synonymous with freedom. And the biblical sense of freedom is not being enslaved and allowing God to provide for you and having so much sense of trust in God that you're not burdened. Mm. Can you imagine? That's heaven, yeah. <laughs> that's heaven. Um, but human ambition says the opposite, right? That's yeah. why we, we slave away for yes. six days. Yes, absolutely. And then the seventh, well, no, we really need it, you know, <laughs> yeah, so, seventh day. So, and we'll take, well, what's that? so Exodus and the, 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 the 10 commandments count when the Sabbath is given. Um, it, we're told that it's given because God wants Israel to do it because he did it. But in Deuteronomy, uh, when the 10 commandments are given, there's a different explanation given. And it's not because God did it, that's Exodus. God tells Israel in Deuteronomy, the, the people who are about to go into the land, he says, listen, you keep the Sabbath so you remember that you were in Egypt and you're no longer a slave. Ah. You are no longer trapped in an economy that enslaves you to work, 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 work for someone else's benefit. Yeah. Hmm. Can you imagine? You will take a day off. You will rest because you're not a slave. And another thing that's fascinating about uh, in Deuteronomy and Exodus is the way the Sabbath is presented. It's you will not work. Your maidservants, your male servants, your animals, no one is going, no matter what class of people you belong to, you will be equal among everyone. Everyone is going to be equalized, if you will. The social stratification will be, it, it, is, it, it is the antidote for that, right. if you will. And, um, and that's just incredible, especially in the ancient world where only the elite could rest. Oh, really? Only the elite, right. yeah, of course. Okay. You're yeah. hustling and bustling because and, you're trying to serve, you're trying to serve those in power who are trying to manipulate those under them to raise them up, you know? Right. So if the that's, king wanted the sandwich on, on Saturday, someone had to come Kings, bring the royals, the elites, yeah, the aristocrats, absolutely. That's how the world works. That's how empire works, hmm. right? Uh, and so... Uh, so yeah, it's, there's many, it's fascinating because there's many Christian scholars that wouldn't appreciate or keep Torah like we do that are Sabbatarians because they see it as such a profound gift and blessing of God that why would you not? Hmm. Why would you not want this reminder in your life that God has freed you from this? Yeah. And you are not, you do not have to work. You're not enslaved. Take a rest. Well, even when you look at that, some people look in the Bible, when they're first looking at the, at the Torah and they see that, oh, you're not even to gather sticks for a fire. We're like, well, it's a big deal. I'm making a fire. Oh, sure. But it's, 
it's every it's the cascade that happens after that. You build a fire, now you're cooking something. Well, someone's yeah. got to cook it. Well, someone's got to serve it, and someone it's like yeah. boom, 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 boom. You got this whole domino effect of work that it's happens because production. you gathered some sticks and wanted to build a fire. Yeah. So who knows if you're uh, if that's what you need to work your metal or your job? Or who knows? Yeah, it's a. Uh, I don't. I would hate to think that the context of that had to do with staying warm and not freezing to death. Um, yeah. I do absolutely believe that there is a greater context that has to do with productivity and the machine yeah, that sure. humans want to build. Uh, and so, yeah, the Sabbath is the Sabbath is bigger than a simple command not to mow your lawn on one day of the week. And speaking of it, like, so there's yeah, so that's one yeah. of the first things we learn right when we're doing Shabbat, yeah. and then it, it grows to well. I, I, first of all, I don't want to, you know, this is elsewhere, elsewhere in the Bible. You don't want to participate in commerce on the Shabbat because, sure. well, why? Well, it would make someone else work. If I'm going to a restaurant, yeah, the, yeah. the person serving me is now my main ser- my manservant because I'm asking him to do something for me on the Shabbat. Sure. No different than a king asking for the sandwich from his servant. That was Ezra's decree when he came back and said, listen, guys, we're going to straighten all this out. Um, that was one of the things he he pushed. He said, listen, mm. guys, we're not going to buy and sell. This is not, we're not doing this when he yeah. came back to Jerusalem. For that same reason, right? It's like, it's like the sticks. It, it leads to yeah. somebody having to work on your so behalf. You, so you have all of the Judahites coming back into the land from exile and, uh, the land's overrun with all kinds of people and traders and everything. And Ezra is very zealous. You know, he's mm-hmm. making people divorce their wives and send them away because they're not Jewish. Uh, but that was one of the things. We're going to close the city. And there's not going to be any traders coming into the city on Sabbath because we're going to, we are going to make the Sabbath set apart again. Mm. Yeah. So. And is it interesting when people, people think, oh, well, that's legalism. But really, when you establish law and order in, in that manner, mm-hmm. whether it's it's of man or of God. That's what people want really deep inside. They want to know that there are some rules and everybody's going to live by them and we will have peace or rest because of it. And it's a reminder to, well, what, what, what we're about to see uh, later on in the story. Okay. It's a reminder to that as well. All right, great. Well, hang on to that. We're going to take a break here and thank you for bringing Matthew to us. You brought him with your donations. Your donations now will help others see him into the future. So thank you for it. We'll give you a couple of minutes. We'll be right back. Thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. And uh, Shabbat Night Live, the Shabbat, as we've learned, means to, to rest, and it comes from the word Noah, and uh, all these things that basically mean stop. Yeah. Stop doing what you're doing. You're not a slave. Honor me, honor yourselves. I mean, don't, don't be a slave, essentially. Uh, not to honor yourself, but you know what I'm saying. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and now, so there's a, there's a greater purpose for this, though. It's not just to stop once a week, and that's nice. And there's a jubilee that comes, up, comes because of it. And I'm, I'm sure we can tie this to uh, other parts of the Bible and things in Revelation. But, you know, there's a greater purpose behind the Shabbat that you see. So could you explain that to yeah, us? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so as we established in the beginning, you know, the, the whole creation story revolves around this idea that God's gonna create this place that he can dwell with mankind. So he ceases, he takes a Shabbat, and this is the eternal state of creation. There's no ending of the seventh day. He's just there and he's with the garden. And he, he finally does what he has been wanting to do since in the beginning was written uh, in this whole, in the story. He takes man and he rests him with him in the garden mm. or in his, in his dwelling place. So that's the pursuit of the God that we serve. God wants to rest his reign. He wants man to rest with him. He wants this community that is not enslaved to the world, that is not trapped in other distractions, that is not giving their life to vain things. They want, he wants a people that will lean into him and reap the blessing. And not only that, um, rule creation 
alongside him, which is what the image bearers were told to do. Yeah, that's interesting. I would just interject sure. here for a second. That's so opposite of what we think of, you know, maybe not what those of us who observe Shabbat, but if someone's going to have a rest and they're done mm-hmm. for the week, they're done on Friday, they're done work, what do people want to do, uh, you know, a, a lot of the time? Just leave me alone. I've had enough of people yeah. for a week. Ugh, just let me be. But God's the complete opposite. No, stop so that we can be together. Yes. So the... Um, so Yeshua makes a reference, and he says that um, uh, before creation, the Father loved me. He was loving me, right? And it's just a little verse, shows them the gospel counts, and it's, you know, we, we, no, it's a profound verse because it means that before God was a creator, um, God was a father. Mm. And it means that God always has, has always wanted a community. He's always, God never wanted to be alone, if you will. God enjoys community, at least the God of the Bible. Um, with Yeshua in the beginning uh, and probably never been without community. And then he wants to include mankind in that divine community as well. And that's even just the first thing we see with Adam and Eve. It is, yes. God's always calling his creation good. It was good, it was good, it was good. And all of a sudden we see this, it is not good for man to be alone. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Interesting. Yes, he, oh. he God, our God is a, a social uh, butterfly. Uh, <laughs> joyous community. Yeah. Joyous community. That's why Yeshua's prayer in John 10 is that, you know what, I pray that that all the followers, Father, that you would make them one with you like I am. We're invited into, we're invited to sit at the table in the community of God as the community of God. It's, it's mm. a very big deal. And so we have this invitation into the story of what God is calling all creation to arrive at, this dwelling with him, uh, ceasing, resting, uh, Shabbating, and joining the God that rests and you experience this overwhelming blessing that will come from that if you choose to do that. And so if Israel listens and walks out their vocation as his image bearers, as the light to the world, if they carry his name, uh, reflecting his holiness as a light to all nations, uh, delivering the blessing of Abraham, the rescue mission, they will experience his rest. That's the promise that we're gonna see. Um, the Sabbath, the Jubilee. In Psalm 95, it concludes with remembering the generation that rebelled and died in the wilderness. And it says that they did not enter into- His rest. His rest. Ha. So there, his rest becomes synonymous with the land because that's the place that he dwells. That's the garden place where man is coming in to rest with God, right? It's, mm-hmm. a, it's an echo of the garden setup. Um, and I love that. I love that. And so Leviticus 25 um, speaks of the ultimate sign of divine rest and Sabbath with the Jubilee year. Mm-hmm. And um, so we have all of that, right? We've established that. That's very uncomfortable because we're, we're not really big on like debt forgiveness, right? Um, but here, God has this plan to just like, no, uh, every burden that's in your life, everybody's life, I'm gonna carry it. You're not gonna have, that is my vision for how people should be in the garden. Right, and it's so counterintuitive for how we accumulate wealth. We have to get money by taking it from others, some which way or another. Um, and if we give money, we have to make profit off of it, and so on and so forth. Uh, but Leviticus twenty-five is the ultimate sign of rest with the grand jubilee every fifty years. So, what do you think Leviticus twenty-six is about? Well, it starts with the words, "Do not create idols. Do not put anything above me." and the rest that I offer. Don't create stone idols or anything else. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am God. Don't create idols. You shall keep my Sabbath and reverence the place that I dwell. Now it's starting to tie together. We have a new, a new, a new plug-in here. We have a new a dynamic. 
The Sabbath has become a major theme. Don't create idols. Keep my Sabbaths. Maintain the holiness of my sanctuary where I dwell. What does the Sabbath have to do with God's sanctuary, though? Again, his pursuit is to dwell among us. Mm-hmm. That was the purpose of the sanctuary. That was the place, again. Yes. The Garden of Eden, the, the land. The, this, the, 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 tabernacle, the tabernacle. This pursuit. Sabbath is the environment where, he will, where, where we dwell with God and rest. Um, and if you think, you know, sometimes you, you start taking all these hyperlinks and putting them together, and think, okay, Matt, you know, you're, you're probably just kind of, you're, you're, really, you're really spinning this, Matt. You're really like putting this all together. You're kind of stretching it a little bit. Let's take a look at Leviticus 26, nine. And here's what it says. It says, I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you if you honor my Sabbaths and revere my sanctuary and don't turn it out. I will make you fruitful and multiply Again, the hyperlink is going back to the beginning of the story, Titanic, right? <clears throat> He's setting up, once again, a new generation of image bearers that he mm. wants to unleash into the world. And so the chapter continues, uh, and it gets a bit uncomfortable because these are the curses of if Israel fails. And God speaks and he says, but if you do not listen to me, uh, if you walk away from this, if you choose not to enter the rest that I'm offering, if you don't want to dwell with me and not obey my commandments, all kinds of calamities and curses are gonna fall on you. And, uh, and look at the language here. We have Leviticus 26, we have uh, verses 19, 21, and 32, 34. Uh, listen to the language of what he says these calamities are gonna take place. He says, your land will not yield its increase and the trees of the land will not yield fruit. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you. I will scatter you amongst the nations, exile you. All of your land shall be desolation. Your cities will be waste. Verse 34, then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. So everything we just kind of mentioned, I glossed over, uh, just picked some things out of the verses there, the, the, the curses, but you see the elements of the story of the Garden of Eden after the fall. Well, he says that if you walk away from this place of rest, you will try to work the ground and it's not gonna produce. Hmm. you will no longer have dominion over the animals. They're gonna have dominion over you and you will be exiled away from the place of rest. Your land will be a desolate waste. It's the same echo. It's the same pattern as Eden. And he's saying this will happen again to you. It's the anti-jubilee. Instead of a release from freedom um, and dwelling with God, you, you, you have captivity and bondage dwelling away from God. Hmm. Uh, but of course, verse 40, he, he offers a, a reversal. If, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery uh, that they committed against me, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if their uncircumcised heart is humbled, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember the covenant with Isaac and Abraham and I will remember the land. There's something about this land and rest and God and dwelling uh, again, the story, the film is being directed here to help you understand what is coming. There's still something coming. Um, you've seen the heart of the ocean in the Titanic. Now, where is it leading us? And what happens next in the story? So Israel's been set up uh, with the Sabbath. They're going into the land and the Titanic makes it to America. No, it hits an iceberg, breaks in half, sinks, is horrible. Israel goes downhill. They enter into the rest of God, the land where he dwells among them in the form of a tabernacle, and they don't obey. They do not keep the ethic of the Sabbath. Um, It's more than simply a prescriptive don't mow your lawn. It is the entire ethic of what the Sabbath is that God wants them to remember. Um, 
You know, they set up a monarchy like all the other nations. Saul, like David, like Solomon, selfish leaders. They create an economy that's driven by consumerism, wealth, um, success through exploitation of the weaker classes and minorities. Um, That is what King Solomon again did with his wisdom. And then the people find no fulfillment in that, so they revolt against King Solomon. And what happens to the nation of Israel? It splits. So now you have two nations that are wicked and against God, right? Um, one nation against, uh, becomes invaded by the Assyrians. It's sent into exile. And of course, the southern kingdom of Judah uh, gets invaded by Babylon. Why? Or idolatry, exploitation of the weak, and specifically not resting. Mm. Not resting. So Isaiah 56 uh, is, is a chapter that really orbits around um, repentance. It calls repentance. And the chapter is the prophet calling the Judeans hypocrites for how they act so zealous when they keep Yom Kippur, um, the day of atonement, the Sabbath of all Sabbath days. But he says his people, they, they seek him daily and they delight in knowing my ways and they act as if they're a godly nation. They wear the t-shirts and the bumper stickers. And yet the chapter goes on to say that they act like they haven't turned their backs on me completely. And the land resting and even the numbers associated with it become uh, symbolic because of that. And so here, the Judahites, the Judahites, the Judeans, they're accused of acting like they're resting on the Sabbath of Sabbaths, but they exploit their workers and they use violence with their fists and they uh, fast and they act pious only to become quarrelsome and fight with each other, Mm. which is amazing (laughs) and convicting. Um, And there's, there's a warning for that. Like, do we exploit and shroud ourselves in the Sabbath, fast, act righteous, Um, act like a good Christian and believer, if you will, only to fight with others and become quarrelsome. Hmm. Because that's not resting, that's going to war. The ethic of the Sabbath permeates with peace, you know? That's so good. Yeah, that's the the concept of that chapter. and here's, how, here's how, it, how it goes. So basically, you know, they're not keeping the Sabbath. And it says in verse 13, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day and the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. Hmm. And then verse 11 says, you shall be watered um, like a garden, right? You shall be watered kind of a flashback again, back to the Eden Sabbath. And there again, it's not, you shall be watered, not you shall water, you shall be watered. Yeah. So you, nothing you're gonna have to do. Yes. You, yes. God will take care of it. Just like, like on the Shabbat, as you mentioned, or in, the, in the, uh, the seventh year, the land would produce on its own. He will essentially water the land and yeah. you won't have to do a thing. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, Judah didn't listen though, of course. And so they experienced the anti-Jubilee of Leviticus 26 and they go into Babylon and they're exiled. Um, And how many years was Judah exiled in Babylon for? It was 70 years. Why 70? Well, the chronicler, chronicler in 2 Chronicles 36, which was written after Judah returned from Babylon, um, it, uh, it states in 2 Chronicles 36, starting in verse 20, but in verse 21, Um, They were exiled to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Mm. So every year it didn't keep the Sabbath added to them. 
and that's how many years. So, so one year for every land Sabbath that was not kept in Israel added up to 70 years. The wow. land didn't get its rest. Man. So the land's gonna get its rest one way or the other. Correct, <laughs> correct. <laughs> so <laughs> if the land gets its rest one way or the other, they're going to Babylon. So then what? Then what happens after this? Well, so uh, the issue is they come back from Babylon and uh, they understood, they started to understand the prophets are coming forward, the Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Malachi. The, the people are starting to understand that they could not truly be free from slavery and exile until they dealt with the sin and corruption in their own hearts. Mm. Because the thing that's keeping them from God's rest is the corruption from their own human hearts. Hmm. is their pursuit of sin and selfishness and corruption of God's creation. That, and that's how you see that in today's world. Yeah. So folks who don't take a Sabbath or don't revere God in general, work, 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 and just, it just they take two steps back, one, or two sure. steps forward, one step back, two step forward, one step back, can never seem to get ahead because we're just striving in our own strength and not relying on Yehovah who says, take a rest, I'll take care of you, I'll water you on the Sabbath. Yes, yes, and not just the Sabbath, but the whole ethic of being in the land and being with God. So that's what the Jubilee, the Jubilee basically prevented um, an elite, elite, the Jubilee prevented, um, and even uh, the, uh, the, the seven year, the land rest, prevented a generation of people or a group, a class of people from rising up mm-hmm. and taking all the wealth and, poor, and, and, uh, and exploiting the entire community. Mm-hmm. No, all debt's released. No, you can't hoard it. <laughs> yeah. It's reset. Everything's reset because God's no, I'm in charge. You will not have that burden. And so it's not simply, we celebrate it one day a week, but it's an entire ethic of how to treat other people, of displaying God's rest, the type of, the type of atmosphere that you would have if you were in the Garden of Eden right now is what you're supposed to display hmm. and use to interact with other people. This is supposed to be the ethic that you live by is what Israel is not. They're exploiting the weak, they're showing, they're claiming they have God's name on them and yet they're acting like the devil, Hmm. right? It's not, they're not producers of rest. And they started to understand this. They understood that as long as they had flesh, um, this was gonna be a repeating cycle, no matter what they did. And so the prophets began to prophesy of a coming king that was going to come, an anointed one, the Messiah. Um, that God would send this new David figure that's going to come up, a new Moses, and he's going to lead a new type of exodus. Not necessarily an exodus from Pharaoh and Egypt, but an, an exodus from sin and death. Hmm. It's a greater forthcoming. And somehow this Messiah was going to establish the kingdom of God in a way that would right every wrong, and that would bring the eternal rest of the seventh day once again, but in eternal fashion. And Isaiah 61 speaks of this uh, specifically. It starts out, it says, it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening the prison to those who are bound. And Isaiah here speaks of a figure who's anointed, the Mashiach, if you will, and this Messiah is going to usher in the proclamation of release to the captives. That's a a jubilee language, Mm. the big Sabbath language. This final eschatological jubilee is coming, not one that's bound on a clock every 50 years, uh, but one that will transcend time and overwhelm the darkness, the corruption, and the devastation that has been caused by the human sin, our our pursuit of the anti-Sabbath. Sabbath. Introduced prophetically in Genesis 2 at creation, assumed by God himself, the command for Israel to emulate that rest in the wilderness 
the symbol of God's complete rest and presence, the sign of hope that everything's gonna be okay. And now we have the anointed one, the Messiah, that's going to come and somehow implement this eternal Sabbath. No more desolation, no more chaos, no more darkness, no more slavery, no more chains, no more shackles, no more captivity. Freedom, liberation, and nuach, resting with God. And we come to the New Testament author, Luke, in chapter 416, and Yeshua walks into a synagogue. He came to Nazareth, and where he had been brought up as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up and read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him to read, and unrolling the scroll, he found a place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives, recovery to the sight and the blind, set, the, uh, set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the Jubilee. Hmm. And then he rolls it up, he gives it back to the attendant and he sits down. Can you imagine the silence at that moment? He sits down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. In verse 21, it says, he began by saying to them, today as you listen, this scripture, the scripture of the prophecy of the eternal eschatological Sabbath, everything that the entire story of the Bible has been pointing to will come about. Everything, the reason why Genesis 2 says God rested, Exodus 16, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, Israel was given the Sabbath, the Shemitah years, the Jubilee years, all of it was a momentum pushing to this trajectory of this prophecy. And here, this carpenter from Nazareth sits down and says, this scripture has been fulfilled this day. Why? Because the king has come. The Jubilee has been inaugurated and it's still unfolding. Hmm. And that's where the author of Hebrews gets his eternal Sabbath um, motif and connecting it with Yeshua. That's, that's it, Yeshua. That's why Yeshua is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the bringer of the rest that is only found in God where he dwells. Wow. And I love that. That's, I think that's amazing. And that is, literally, it's throughout the Bible, this mm -hmm. whole rest thing. It's yeah, the whole rest. It ends and ends, and it's all about him. Yeshua <laughs> says, enter in, rest, and dwell with me. Huh. And that's where we find the ultimate rest. Oh, great. Well, let's continue next week. I think we have a lot to talk about here. Yeah, if you're willing, I am. That Absolutely. Great. <laughs> okay. So Matthew Vanderels has been our guest today. You can see his website at the bottom of your screen there. He has a congregation right near here, uh, near Charlotte in Rock Hill. So if you're around the area, please go and visit him there. Until then, we bid you a good Sabbath, a good Shabbat, and we'll see you next week. Until then, Shavuot Tov. Mm -hmm.